Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown, Beacon Patrol, and Sexy Battle Wizards. This is staying in. It's just the tuna bus tonight. It's just the tuna bus. Now, you know, not to besmirch our uh, no. fellow podcasters and brackets and friends, <laughs> um, but but um, I quite enjoy it when it's the tuna bus because um, we get to just we get to do real talk. So. Real talk. <laughs> what we get to do, we get to do real talk. Uh, and it feels a little bit more like one of those like late night, like four o'clock in the morning, and you're listening to the Quiet Hour with your hosts Peter and Sam. Let's bring uh, it. Let's bring it down. Let's, let's bring, bring it, it down a, a few levels. Let's get chill for a second. Let's well, get real and chill. And tonight's topic, yeah, is what are we going to be talking uh, about? Cushions. Sam? Cushions. Um, and how many is too many? And uh, we have Deirdre on line three, who says that <laughs> she believes that there's a globalist conspiracy of lizard people uh, looking to determine how many cushions we have. Well, thanks very much, Deirdre. Uh, and uh, uh, yes, we'll we'll also do your shout out to your fellow co-workers uh, on the night shift at Tesco. Coming up next, uh, Paul has an idea <laughs> about how many cushions can be fit into his Citroen 2CV. And that's after Rush. <laughs> um, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> well, well, why don't we... I, I, think, I think the best thing to do is to have a bit mm. of uh, a grab baggy, mm-hmm. grab bag style... Yeah, episode where where we just we just throw. Usually, usually we're a bit we're a bit precise. We're a bit uh, you know thoughtful, considered yeah. about what we might be chatting about. But if it's just the two of us, yeah, let's just throw any old rubbish. Exactly. Let's respond to that criticism that we are too professional. Um, <laughs> let's just respond to that. Um, all right, I'm going to say three words then. Okay. Sexy battle wizards. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, We're let's, here, let's get we? started. Um, so uh, this is you, you ran this. Uh, this is Grant, yeah, I did. Yeah, Grant Howitt. That's correct. Yeah, uh, who is famous for a various number of things. Probably most famous, I think, for Honey Heist. Yeah, which probably is a wonderful one-page RPG about being a bear and trying to get through a heist in which you steal some honey. Uh, and it's an amazing game. I think we've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, the uh, But the, the whole concept of a one-page RPG, if you've not played one of these before, and you should if you get a chance, because these are, these are wonderful, mm. is... It is a. It's usually a very rules light because you only have one page. Literally, it's all the rules are on one page. Usually, all the adventure is on one page as well. The entire setup yeah. and the situation is on one page. Usually, is done as a one shot because you know probably can't. A one pager might not be able to sustain uh, a, you know a, a lengthy three year campaign. Um, and they're usually very experimental. Usually. 
the mechanics take a bit of a back seat and they're very gonzo they're very uh, sorry and they're very zine like so often they are tackling things and subjects that are a little bit off kilter a little bit gonzo or are just slightly weird in some way uh, and that's kind uh -huh. of the beauty of them uh, they only you know you can run them for a few hours you probably wouldn't want to play a campaign as a as a bear for months and months and months on end but you certainly want to have a lovely fun evening of it um and sexy battle wizards is well, you ran it and so why did you choose yeah. for our, our gaming group sexy battle wizards what was it about well the, what is us. it about those three specific terms and you mm. and everyone mm. um i so I ran, I did do Honey Heist a few years ago <laughs> with our little RPG group. Um, and that went very, very well. It did. Very much enjoyed it. And then there, then due to uh, a known scheduling issue, there, <laughs> there, there, um, there, a, a gap presented itself within our longer, long-running Blades of the Dark campaign. Yep. So I thought I would just um if you just if you just type in Grant Howitt, uh especially on itch.io, um you can you can pretty much find the whole of Grant Howitt's sort of what's it called? Bibliography? Is that right? yeah, bibliography, gameography. Gameography. And a boy like he has done I just thought that <laughs> naively, I just thought that Honey Heist was a sort of flash in the pan uh, a, a, a seasoned rpg writer just doing something incredible on a weekend but no this is grant howitt's bag this is like his thing mm. like he's filled multiple volumes with one page rpgs so when i knew that i kind of wanted to go down that that hole of doing like a a one-shot RPG because I've got a couple of RPGs sitting around in 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 some cupboard somewhere that I've that I backed on Kickstarter and I've still not done anything with, mostly because Chris is really dragging out this bloody one that we're, <laughs> do, we're doing. <laughs> so I'm sure you feel the same because you've got tons of RPG stuff going. Yeah, I've, I've got tons of stuff to... in my back pocket. I'm just like, oh, God, oh, God. yeah, come on, let's go. <laughs> I keep trying to die, kill everyone else. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's never just not working out. Anyway. So um, I thought the one page for just like a, a one shot is the best way to go. And you can pay what you want on itch.io for Grant Howard stuff, which is really, really good. And it's extremely accessible. Yeah. Um, but I dropped a couple of quid, a couple of bucks. Because you're good like that, aren't you? So good like that. And it was, you know, sexy battle wizards uh. was all that sold me on the game. And I just knew that... I had to, and I think part of the reason why is that it that it it's so different, even in title terms, to what we've been doing, which is Blades in the Dark, oh. um, which even though it has its moments of levity, is as dark and mm. deadly and uh, confrontational as the name suggests. So, Sexy Battle Wizard seems to be like you know a real opportunity for us all just to let our hair down a little bit yeah, and do something sure. different. For sure. So, how the game actually works is is that you've got three stats you got sexy you got battle and you got wizards and you create your character and you do that just by rolling 
a certain number of dice and each dice um, is attributed. Each dice result has a certain uh, phys physical trait or um, school of magic trait associated to it. So you roll a six and you've got um, well-toned abs. That's mm -hmm. what makes you sexy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then you roll another dice and it says you, or you come from the school of um, uh, shielding chaos or something like that. And you'll roll another dice and it says, oh, your your weapon is ray is a rage hammer or something like that. And that's that's what you get in terms of your character creation. And then you then attribute. Um, one dice to either sexy battle wizards and then two dice to uh, another one of those three stats and then three dice to another one of the another another one of the sexy battle or wizard and that's it you've created your character mm -hmm. in terms of what I was doing um, I uh, as sort of as the GM again just rolled dice that said right this is your campaign will be happening here. Um, this is what the characters have to overcome, and this is what is at the 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 the, the final part of the campaign. So mm -hmm. kind of give me the the bare bones of it, and everything else was just was just down to what what me and the rest of you created. And there's just something exceptionally evocative about all of Grant Howard's games, whether it's Honey Heist or Sexy Battle Wizards where there's just enough to go off to really let your imagination uh, unfurl. And the idea that we were playing around in this world where being sexy was a, a, was a commodity yeah. and was an ability that could be used. And you, if you wanted to do something, it wasn't like, all right, I want you to roll strength or dexterity. It was, right, can you roll sexy to do that, please? <laughs> because you were doing trying to either do something sexy in terms of, like, distracting someone in a battle or trying to win over someone's attention or whatever. And just, and, like, how the rules are written is just, like, there's there's a there's a particular part of the rules to the GM where it's just, like, ask yourself this when creating npcs mm. are they kissable yeah <laughs> and that and that was like important the the base note yeah. that that you get given and i probably spent too long writing <laughs> writing out a sort of but i just like i i i, I kind of wanted to go in a little bit prepared and and wanted to give the story a bit a bit of structure because i i i wanted it very specifically to rattle along i didn't want it to get drawn out i wanted it to kind of be done within like an hour hour and a half so i probably did do a bit of overwriting but i had an absolute ton of fun mm. and, and and i think i had a what i enjoyed most was seeing all of you guys just like really letting loose and doing stuff that's totally against the characters that i see you all play as like week in week out oh yeah like for me like that's the beauty of the one shot right uh the and that's the beauty of a one-page rpg for me this is you know this is sorbet right like this is this is like moving on to the next experience this is 
yeah you want a bit of a refresher a bit of a palate cleanser before you move on to the next big thing or or before you go back to that big thing that you already are doing and you know for example you know chris is chris is running this incredible you know blades in the dark campaign that's been going on for years now and is epic like he's epic in in, yeah. in, in that it's huge yeah it's huge um and it's been amazing so far um but the thing with that is it's the same with binge watching a tv series for example it, you don't binge watch i don't know uh law and order and then binge watch like law and order la and then binge watch like <laughs> law and order you know, do you know what i mean like you don't you don't go yeah, yeah, you don't yeah, go yeah. back to back to back right you don't binge watch all of the csis across all of the those things because ultimately while they are all of a certain level of quality um and they might differ in certain ways like you will get used to it as it were and I think that these one-page RPGs are, are are a great way to kind of break that up and allow us to go and try a character that's completely different. So in the Blades in the Dark campaign, my character is quite um, sparse with his language and is very much about biting his way through a problem, whereas in Sexy Battle Wizards, I was... Uh, really chipper, really talkative, think my way out of the problem, sort of a situ- sort of a sort of a yeah, sort of a character, and it's great because you get to have that kind of an experience that isn't just that same character again, over and over and over again. Um, in addition, there is a lot of enjoyment in the idea of running characters like you stole them, uh. which is you know. Uh, I like to do this with Call of Cthulhu one-shots, for example, where it's like, yeah, like, it doesn't really matter what happens to your character at the end of this. So because of that, you're not super precious about that character. And because of that, it encourages you to think about the story and the mechanics in terms of role play and narrative rather than, well, I need my character to level up in this way or to survive until the next episode right um and i think that's great i think that's really really glorious um and it is also i would say these one pages and i think sexy battle wizards is is a perfect example of this this is closer to the improv side of rpgs yeah rather than the simulationist side of rpgs which you know i'm 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 in all the different forms of rpg i think that there's tons of really interesting stuff in all of them but but to go true improv is you know uh, improv where basically whether or not you succeed is determined on or the roll of a dice you know that's a very lightweight rpg but it's also quite a refreshing one because it allows you to just kind of muck around with your powers for a couple of hours um which i think is yeah i think it's things amazing Talking of conventions, oh yeah, talking of conventions, mm-hmm. when this when this episode comes out, yeah. we'll be Go on. busy packing for. We, I'm looking at my calendar now. We will be aircon. We will be. So yeah, so you can still, I, I believe, you can definitely still get tickets. Oh yeah, to to aircon if you'd like to come, and it is it is my favourite 
um, board game convention. I I absolutely love it. Yeah. I mean, most of the most of what I get anxious about is what games to bring, considering I've got a captive audience. <laughs> and it's kind of like, right, what what do I bring? Yeah. What I probably won't bring though is um, a couple of games I've been playing recently, and it's not because I don't think they're deserving of an afternoon out in aircon. Mm. It's more that they are well. One of them is a four-player but really solitaire game about exploring an ocean. Okay, an ocean. And the other one is a two-player game about um, warring city factions. Which one do you want to know about first? I want to know about the two-player one because that's one that's not going to come to air call because it's three of us. Yeah. Well, are you bringing Lorcana? I mean, I was thinking about it. Are you? Yeah. Are you going to bring some? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I might, yeah. I might have some. I think I'm going to build a deck and bring it. I think I'm going to bring my Scrooge McDuck deck. Brilliant. Yep. Okay. Well, okay. So... But other than Lorcana, yeah, yeah, district district noir uh, will not be making the list, even though it's with a bit of a heavy heart because it's definitely vying for a place between me and Chris, and it's a shame he's not here as one of our favourite two-player games. Interesting to play against each other. Okay, and for. For the longest time, that's been Compromat. Have you played Compromat before? No, but I remember you talking about it on the podcast. It's one of those. It's a Helvetic game. It's a really, really small box. Yep, cool. Um, the, the the design of it is just gripping and superb. Where you just have cards laid out in the middle of the table, mm-hmm. and those and those cards are either worth victory points at the end of the game, or they give you a special ability. Okay. Um, or or they're an item that gives you a power. And all you do on your turn is you take a card off the top of your deck, you look at it, and you put it down by one of these items. And then it's up to you whether you take another card off the deck or not to add to that. But as soon as you lift the card up off the deck and look at it, you're committed to adding it to that pile. And then you're just playing pontoon at that point. You're just playing... You're just, you're just playing blackjack. You're just playing 21. Basically, the person who either hits 21 or gets the closest to 21 without going bust will claim that item at the end of the round. So it's one of those beautiful games where you'll be playing, you know, you'll put down a 10 and then you'll put down another 10 and you just you just, just want to take a risk and you'll lift up that card in front of you and it's an eight and you've got to stay completely stony faced at all times lest your partner across the across the table mm-hmm. gets an inkling about the fact that you've just gone absolutely bust on this on this thing so it's it's a wonderful game and, and we've we've played it for a long time and always always makes it to the table uh, when we're together but district noir has probably been the closest game that we've played recently that's come to sort of toppling that crown. Huh. And that's I think it's in part because it shares a little bit of that DNA that Compromat has. It shares that bluffing that um, that sort of ability or that need to kind of keep, keep your nerve mm-hmm. and really 
stay straight-faced when your opponent is directly across from you. There's just something really thrilling about that. And Compromat works really well because it, it, it manages to condense that experience and makes that tension wrap up, ratchet up quite quickly. Mm. And District Noir does the same thing. Quite interestingly, Compromat is a game I've never won. Chris has won every single time we played. And this is because, quote, he used to play blackjack with his grandparents all the time. I don't know what that makes of the man. I, yeah, but I, I don't know. I think it feels like <laughs> I feel like his grandparents saw him coming, basically. <laughs> so how District Noir works is you have um, a deck of cards, and in that deck of cards you have, and and the theme is it's got this very um, a noir style theme. So the theming is around. Um, you can imagine like 1950s, 60s, New York style uh, theming. Uh, and so you have cards in the deck that represent sort of positive points um, that you can that you can score. You have cards in the deck that represent negative things that will happen to you and they are negative points. So that like going to jail, for example, will impact your score negatively. And then there's other cards in the deck, three cards, for example, that are three specific locations in this city. And how the game works is you're all working from the same deck of cards. You each get a hand of five. You take some cards out of the deck, so you card, so it's a bit more difficult to card count. And then you start off with some cards in this row in the middle that sits next to the deck. And then on, on your turn, you can do one or two things. You can either add a card to the row or you can pick up the last five cards that have been placed in this row. And once you've picked up, you can't pick up anymore. Right. And what that... And, and it's just a really, really simple, streamlined set of rules, just two rules... You either place down a card or you pick up the last five cards played yep. that just creates this utter two-player magic. Because what you're always trying to do is gamble between this is a card I would really like and I'd like to pick it up or this is a card I would really like my opponent to pick up right? and I get rid of. Right. So you're either making the pot in the middle of the table really juicy. So when it comes around to you, when it comes around to your turn, you can go right all those five cards, bang, 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 or you make it awful. So the other opponent is put off, and therefore you can get a card that you really want. Yep. Or you lace the trap. You like make it really juicy, but throw in a minus five card in there as well, so they can't help but want to pick it up and take that minus five score and it's yeah i think juicy is just that word it's just like that delight when you you've laid this perfect trap for your opponent to walk into like you've you've laid you've given them all the cards they want because how, how the scoring works is is who's got the majority of a certain number so if you've got two cards that are worth eight and your opponent has also got two cards that are worth eight whoever's got the most will score that eight points Right. So you can really like make that central pot really enticing by putting down one of your eight cards and being like, there you go, you can have that one. But if you want that one, you're going to have to pick up this minus five. You're going to have to pick up this minus two. 
you're going to have to take some of the hits to to pick that card up. So that dynamic is a little bit like um, no thanks, for example. Like yes, that that yeah, kind of level. Absolutely. Of, okay. And the one other twist that the game does is that if at any point you have all three of those location cards that I mentioned at the start, mm. you win automatically at that point. So whenever anyone plays a location card, it immediately ratchets up the tension in terms of right who's 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 going to pick up all these cards, Clever. who's going to be the first person to to pick up. And we, me and Chris, played several games back to back of this, which is unusual for Chris, who's usually like a one and done. Yeah, onto the next one. Yeah. Um, but it was just tense, interesting, beguiling, like a real feast. In terms of just that dueling, dueling combatants across the table, where more than on more than one occasion we were just like, hmm, "Well played, well played," you know, <laughs> "Well played." Like we just sort of, it was that kind of like noirish kind of feeling where we've been battling for so long, we've got nothing but respect for each other, even though we, all we're doing is screwing each other over constantly. That sounds great. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. It's it was really good. okay. So I I like this game idea. It sounds very good. It's two player, so it's unlikely to come to Aircon, but no. I would be up for playing but, that uh, in the future. So what's the one that you will that might be coming to Aircon or might I might bring it because it is because it is up to four players, but really uh-huh. um, it really is a solitaire experience. Okay, so yeah, because you said multiplayer, but really solitaire. So like, yeah. Okay, what is this game? So this is Beacon Patrol. Okay. And just to say, both these games um, uh, from Pandasaurus sent to us ever so kindly. Uh, thank you very much. Um, and this is a Beacon Patrol. And this is one of those games where it's been designed and um, drawn by the same person, Torben Ratzlaff. Okay. And the first thing to say it is gorgeous on the table like it has such an amazing um presence and design and um what's the word aesthetic yep um on the table if if, actually if you go to our instagram page you will see some i think i put a video on there about beacon patrol and how it looks but the the aim of the game is it's a tile laying game and you are picking up three tiles uh, on your turn, if you are playing a one-player game, the, the variance in how many tiles you're picking up um, um, alters, depending on how many players you're playing as, uh, or playing with, I should say. And then you're putting those tiles on the board, or you um, discard them. And the rules of placement are, mm-hmm. is that each tile has a little arrow in the corner, so it can only go in one direction. So there's no, like, Carcassonne-style wibbly wobbly oh if I twist it this way yeah, or that yeah, way yeah. you know the, the tiles all go up in the same orientation and the other rule is is that when a tile is placed your little boat that you've got must be able to then sail into the tile so the whole game has this way of the whole game has this momentum behind it which is actually probably what I find the most endearing is that when you place a tile, you move your ship. When you place a tile, you move your ship. When you place a tile, you move your ship. 
So it simulates that fog of war kind of feeling when in a video game, you know, when you're just like gently yeah. pushing the boundaries of your of what you know and discovering things as you as you come across them mm-hmm. rather than laying the tiles and then moving your ship on a on a different subsequent turn. Mm. And the the ocean is like this verdant blue the uh the boys and the lighthouses that um dot around the seascape this wonderful red and white and then the islands are themselves that you will nudge up against the coast of are this really you know even though they're black and white they are really evocative and they really stand out across like the contrast of the of the blue and the reds they're very of the of the landmarks the visuals of it, and I'm looking at it now on a on a Instagram, like they're very. The way I would describe them is like, it's like if IKEA made a map. <laughs> like, like you know that you know the yeah I can see that you know, yeah you know like yeah. the the IKEA characters and they're quite like evocative and 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 simply drawn, but they are uh-huh. but they are very expressive. Like you know I'm always very excited when I see the. Uh, the IKEA person who um, gets really sad that he's by himself trying to make a cupboard, um, like the 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 map looks really what's the right phrase? It's like they get a lot out of a limited palette, right? Yes, and it looks really good. Like it, it yeah, like yeah. the way that you're describing it and the way that it looks, yeah, it feels like Carcassonne meets the Fog of War of Civ. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's got this this like Nordic design to it really. It feels yes. very much of the Swedish Icelandic ish style. Mm. And it is has been my go to solitaire game for quite a while now. And the how it scores and how it plays is actually quite simple. So you, you basically score a point if a tile is completely explored and by explored how the game defines that is it has a tile basically on all its compass points it has a tile to the north to the south to the east or the west that tile is explored in the middle you get one point if there's a boy on there or a lighthouse on there you'll get more points and um and that's it so there's no real need to complete an island like getting an island shape complete and finding all of its edges. There's no real need to do that. It's all about exploring um, certain uh, locations and um, icons in the in the ocean. Mm. So I just love that, that fact of the game is that it's about exploring rather than completing. And even though, like... I love games like Cascadia and Carcassonne. They're all tile-laying games about starting something and then finishing it off. Mm. And it's and you know it's about finishing off that area or getting to that particular or reaching that threshold to score that amount of certain points. Like there's there's a certain like um, escalation of discovery. Mm. Whereas with Beacon Patrol. It's just about discovery and it's just about exploration. It's just about movement and that and that momentum within this world. 
And, and the box itself is quite generous. There's two expansions that come with it. There's windmills and there's um, piers. Um, and both of them add something a little bit different to the game. But but I think what I what I think what I was getting at in terms of it being a very solitaire experience is the same way I feel about gentle rain in that I just can't imagine sharing this with someone else. Yeah. If you if you do with with Beacon Patrol, everyone gets their own ship and basically can explore another area of of the map. So there is sometimes something quite nice about someone explores something in the south and you're off to the north, and you can go and help them with maybe complete a part of their little puzzle, and they could come and help you with with yours, and that and that's quite nice and that's quite sweet. But I think when it comes to exploration, there is just something about that loneliness that isolation that you know looking down on the map and knowing that you've done it all yourself which is the most satisfying part of it mm. uh obviously you and i mm. steam deck owners oh yeah and gotta love it and proud um and um yeah like i've been really enjoying my Steam Deck so far, uh, playing all sorts of games, and some of them I'm sure I'll, I'll talk about in the future. But like, I just finished Super Liminal, uh, which Ooh. is unbelievably good, uh, very very clever. Three up, you know, three hours never outstays its welcome. A game that truly knows when to go. Yep, there you go. That's that's the game. Off you. Cheers. Glad you had a good. <laughs> glad you had a good time. Um, you'll also remember that I was talking a little while back. I, I wouldn't even say talking, effusing uh, uh, mm. greatly about a game called Chasing Static, which is... Oh, yeah, I think I put this on my wish list. Was that the one where... Um, was that the one that was... Was it British? Was it set yes. in Britain? Set in, or... It's set in rural Wales. It is a Wales, that was PS1, it, yeah. you know, D-make-esque horror. Um, uh, wobbly textures and all and uh you know first person adventure and disturbing and interesting in all the right ways uh, and it's made by somebody here in bristol uh, who goes by the name of headwear games um so i've not actually met this person uh, i just know that they are in the game scene uh, here in bristol um uh, and their their newest release <coughs> uh, which i mentioned at the time when i played chasing static is a game called hollow body which is um uh the next level up uh so headwear games previous releases are guard duty which is like a, a 2d side scrolling um point and click adventure so you might think something like eight you know 16 bits you know that sort of era of the pc maybe uh of that sort of era uh then his next game is hollow uh is his next game is chasing static which is ps1 and then this game coming up now is a game called Hollow Body, which attempts to be much closer to the PlayStation 2. I will say it is much more high fidelity than the PlayStation 2 could ever hope to, to achieve because you know, technology is what it is. But it brings that aesthetic from a few like specific horror games, chiefly Resident Evil 1 or 2, and importantly for me, Silent Hill 2, specifically uh -huh. Silent Hill 2, 
uh, you know, two, three, four. Um, and it, it takes uh, many of those mechanics. So it has tank controls, for example. So if you're old enough to remember this, you know, wandering around in third person with, you know, different camera angles and so forth, you had to like control your character as if they were a, a tank of some kind. You know, like, uh, you know, you would yeah. press forward, you would move forward, you'd press left, you wouldn't immediately walk left, you would turn your character a number of degrees left, right? Um, yeah. So, so it's got all of that stuff going for it, um, which I love. Um, and the other thing is that it combines all of this with Blade Runner. And then it sets it in a sort of dour England, right? <laughs> uh, so yeah. So the and obviously we'll have links to the in the show notes. Uh, if you're interested in what it looks like, we'll have links and stuff like that to Hollow Body. So I've been playing the yeah. demo of this because this was a demo that was available in Nextfest, and it is you can tell what it's trying to to emulate. Uh, this it's not referred to as a demo. It's referred to as the playable teaser, which, if you remember from the PS4 era, yes. uh, PT was what was the playable teaser for Silent Hills, uh, which unfortunately never came out. Um, and uh, so you can immediately see where this is coming from. This is a world of like hover cars and like uh, not quite cyberpunk i don't think not really like maybe some of the darker elements of cyberpunk but it's less interested in in that is much more close to things like blade runner um so sure you know dystopian far future things are like everything's dark that kind of thing um and you uh the 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 demo doesn't particularly go into much information about like what's going on, but basically you are in an abandoned English city and suburbs. So you will go into council houses, right? And it is wild in a video game to see an English council house. Like it like yeah. genuinely really fascinating, right? Um uh, and you know these the streets that you walk down look like your standard suburb with a motorway running through it, right? With with you know an A road wow. running through it. Um, That's cool. And that pitch of Silent Hill Two, Resident Evil meets Blade Runner in England is it, 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 whatever you're picturing. Yeah, it is. It is that. Like it, like it is. It is exactly that. It manages to deliver that in spades. And what this demo does is it kind of shows you bits and pieces of everything that you'll do in the game. So uh, there's a bit of combat, and the combat is what you would hope for in a game that's inspired by Silent Hill and Resident Evil, which is that yes, there are guns, and you you can arm yourself, but ammo is in very short supply. And enemies take a long amount of time to put down, and you are better, you are you are better off just not engaging with them, like running past them or yeah. you know what have you. You're also better off conserving your ammo as much as you possibly can, so you end up relying a lot on 
hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat weapons and it gets really tense because there are you know a, a few enemies in the game uh, in the there are a few enemies in the demo and they will take a bite out of you like they they they, they are no joke so you know you want to put a few bullets into these things but you realize you're going to be running out of ammo so you switch over to you know a bat and it isn't guaranteed that you're going to walk away from it unscathed, right? And at that point, you know, you you, you drop to like a low uh, a low health, and it does that classic, you know, red and uh, a red filter over the screen and all that kind of stuff. So that's the kind of combat side of things, and it's deliberately awkward, right? I know that sounds yeah. really odd, but if you've played one of those games before, you'll appreciate it for what it actually is meant meant to be. In that you're not meant to feel powerful, you're not meant to, you know. This is way before Resident Evil 4 came along and said, actually, you're pretty capable, right? Like, no, this is, you are up against it and you should try and avoid combat. Um, it's a short demo. It will take you about an hour. Um, it, uh, you know, if you're as stupid as I am, it'll take you about an hour because uh, the puzzle's, you know, quite challenging to figure out. Um, it's a short thing. Um, this is probably now probably one of my most anticipated games of this year wow like and it's a blade blade runner in england meets silent hill 2 and resident evil that's kind of what i was going to ask is like who is this like i feel like we've had a big glut of games that have been quite evocative of that period you know while we're all waiting for Silent Hill to get remade or Silent Hill 2 or whatever yeah. nonsense yeah. that's going to be yeah. I feel like in that absence in that vacuum there's just been a bit of a resurgence in that tank controlled yep. very dark um, style horror game so do, you, so do you just think that this would just appeal to people who are nostalgic for that in particular not to say that there's nothing wrong with appealing to that nostalgia mm -hmm. I'm sure it's a it's a huge market and you know that's that's the wonderful thing about video games is the people who were brought up on them as kids are now making the yeah making the game so they're going to want to play they're going to want to make something that's evocative of when they were playing games but do you think this is just this just would just appeal to people who have the fond memories of dino crisis and silent hill and <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i mean I think it definitely is pitched squarely at those people. Um, I don't think that's I don't think that's like a controversial thing to say. Um, but but I think and 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 I think that I I think that you hit the nail on the head there. Where you know yes, we're a lot of people are waiting for Silent Hill 2's remake, uh, myself included. Uh, but many of us are waiting for it in the way that we might wait for um, a train crash to occur um you know like <laughs> everything i've seen about the remake of silent hill 2 makes me think that that is a team that doesn't really understand what silent hill 2 is or at least their marketing team doesn't understand what silent hill 2 actually is so so whenever i think about silent hill 2's remake i just sigh inwardly and sometimes outwardly um and to the people who who that happens to it's definitely going to appeal hollow body is definitely going to appeal to them because this mm. is a game that goes, yeah, that's all very well and good, that modern stuff, but like, no, nah, we, what we want is psychological, uh, disturbing horror 
that isn't necessary. And you know, there's gore in it without a doubt, but it's not about gratuitous gore. It's about using gore to, um, to 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 add spice to an underlying mood of darkness that is actually the appealing part of these games. You played anything? Me? Game related? Me? Yeah. I've uh, been totally ignoring my Steam Deck. Excellent. But I have been playing on my Switch. So I completed uh, Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Isn't it? Wonder! Isn't it wonderful? It is. I have to admit, though, I did find it quite difficult. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's a hard game. It's a lot more difficult than yeah. I thought. Yeah, it's a proper challenge. It was going to it's be. It's a proper challenge. Yeah, yeah it's great. Um, but no, it, it is fantastic. And and it's kind of one of those games where, in the, in the same way that Rayman Origins did, is that I kind of was kind of thinking, hmm, what would it take to actually get everything? Yeah. And yeah. I did consider but it. But I've been looking on Reddit and I don't think it's as easy as it feels like it is. I looked into it and I saw one Redditor describe it as uh, Super Mario Wonder is one of the greatest games of all time until you want to try and complete it 100%, which case you'll hate it, uh, which yeah. sounds uh, which sounds like my kind of challenge. But um, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I've had my fun with it and I, I found one of the hidden levels and was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I found those levels as well. I was like, oh, oh, oh dear. dear. <laughs> I don't think I'm up to this. <laughs> um, nah. yeah. But the other game I've been playing alongside that is the new the new Prince of Persia one. Right. Prince of Persia. Yes. And the Lost Crown. Right, okay. So, this one has thrown me through a loop. Because I'm I'm usually pretty good at sniffing out rubbish. Yeah. And I usually look at a trailer and go, make my mind up pretty quickly as to whether or not I'm going to like something. And yeah. I saw this and thought, wow, this sure is a filler between whatever it is that they're doing with the Prince of Persia Sands of Time remake. And we just need to keep this just, copyright yeah, license. Exactly. Just we need to <laughs> like this feels like an opportunity <laughs> to engage an audience rather than like a reason to make a game. Right. Like. But I keep hearing really good things about it. Yeah, it's it's really good. Huh. Um, like I'm I'm not a massive. Now I'm going to rail against. I, I think I feel like there's a there's a big movement going on in certain areas of the internet. They're railing against Metroidvania as a uh, a genre signifier. Sure. Because apparently in Japan, Metroidvanias are called search action games. Oh, cool. And it. I think most of the community is now picking up on that and feeling like that's a better description of how these games actually yeah, play. I think, yeah, that's, um, that's quite clever. Yeah, I like that. So, um, Prince of Persia: Lost Crown is a search action game, and what I mean by that is that you have this amazingly detailed and labyrinthine map that you explore, and that theoretically you have access to at all times but certain areas will be locked off 
to you because you don't have a specific power or access to a specific power as of yet. So, for example, the classic one is the double jump. So you start off only being able to jump once as a platform that's just out of your reach. And then later on in the level or in the game, you'll unlock the double jump. So you'll have to come all the way back. You can now double jump up to that platform and explore a new area of, of the map. As a player, I find that kind of game design both infuriating but rewarding in equal yeah. measures. Because I'm the kind of player, a bit like Super Mario Wonder, where I, you know, you go through a level in Super Mario Wonder and you get really annoyed whether either because you don't get all three purple yeah. coins yeah. or you don't hit the top of the flag. Yeah. That and that top of the flag is particularly, <laughs> is particularly yes. onerous, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, so search action games or Metroid, Metroidvania games are pretty much the, you know, the distillation of that as a feeling, in terms of either not knowing whether you're doing the right thing, whether you've got the right powers but not executing it the right way, or it's just not intended to be your moment in that place at that time and having to live with the fact that you're either going to have to come back to this area at another at another point in the game or leave it unexplored altogether which I find infuriating but when you eventually come back to it and you succeed where you once failed it's really it's really exhilarating it's you know it's why those games are really popular because you have this feeling of progression you have this is a very tactile and tacit feeling of your character growing and and developing and, and being able to do more more stuff and that the design in prince of persia and that level of exploration is it's 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 incredible it's so good hmm. like the platforming is is really tight, really interesting. It's got a mechanic which I've not seen in a in a, a game of this type before. Where so usually you can open up the map and put down little markers that might sim- and they'll have like a symbol on them, like a question mark or a or a uh, or or like a, a, a jaws, the jaws of a beast to represent. Like, oh, here's a really tough enemy that I can't get past yet. I'll just put a marker down and remember that's there. And I'll put a little question mark down there to like come back to that later. But what Prince of Persia The Lost Crown does is it allows you to take a screenshot at their location. So you stand at location, you press a button on the switch and it'll take a screenshot so that when you come back to the map and you hover over that icon, it'll give you a screenshot of what that area actually looks like rather than just a little token or something that's really nice that that gets me reminiscing about things like nintendo power and games master and things where you'd see those maps that they'd lay out of every bit of the every bit of the game yes oh that's really clever it it's a limited power you can only do it 12 or so times until you use up some of the photos that you've got stored that makes sense yeah yeah um so it's not like it's not like a finite level. You just can only have 12 running concurrently at the same time. 
But, you know, I've been playing it for like six or seven hours and I've probably only put down about four or five snapshots. That's cool. So I feel like the amount that I've got is is reasonable for the level of challenge. The The game has certain um, Souls-like elements, which every game has to have now contractually, apparently. Um, where you uh, will come across these trees in the world and you bring life to the trees and they act a little bit like um, uh, bonfires. So um, they act as respawn points, but they also will bring back all the enemies that were once perished in the level. Um, but you don't lose things that you collected when you die. Okay. Um, so that's a that's a small mercy. But they don't act as fast travel points. Fast travel is a completely separate thing done by a completely different okay. element in the game. So at, even at this moment in time, like I feel like backtracking is a bit of a chore. It feels like a kind of return to Prince of Persia's original roots. Like yeah. I don't know if you played those first two games, but they did feel like... You know, there's a reason that when the original Tomb Raider came out, there's a reason people compared it to Prince of Persia. Because, like, uh. yeah, it, it was like, okay, take three steps back, start running, hold hold run, like, and then jump and then grab, <laughs> right? Like, you know, Tomb Raider, yeah. and, and Tomb Raider, you know, took, took a whole bunch of that, for example. Um, the combat in the original Prince of Persia uh, was very... Um, you know, was very Souls-like in that you, you needed to know what you were doing because you were you were gonna die yeah, in it like is one very or here. two hits, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And you did have to explore. There were hidden traps. There were things that you would notice about the world that when you, you landed on a ledge particularly heavily, uh, another ledge that would fall over if you, that would fall down into a death pit if you walked over it uh, would like rattle subtly. And like you'd have to figure out, oh, okay, I have to move through the space in this way. So it sounds like a bit of a return to form to some of that stuff, but without the, again, without the trappings of it being that kind of age, the the sort of nonsense that yeah. we would just not put up with these days. Um, no. So like, to me, the game looked like the, and I'm an idiot, so I've played. The, I've played them, but like it looked to me like the Assassin's Creed Chronicles games, where it was like this is mm. just a two D one to keep you tidied over because well, sorry, but Origins isn't coming out for a while. But it sounds to me like this is actually like oh no, this is this is viable. This like, is this is, could be another. This is a twenty to thirty hour jeez search search action game. This is like a proper proper thing. This is a proper game for proper, yeah, proper gamers. gamers. Um, but I, I, not all of it hits for me. I think for me, I just, I really love the platforming and I really love the exploration. Mm. I'm not such a massive fan of the combat. Sure. I think it's gone too soulsy for, for me. The combat gets more in the way of like the rhythm of the platforming. Yep. Okay. Then really enhances the, the story or the action in some way but then i'm sure there are people who really enjoy the combat and the depth of it who don't enjoy the jumping through 10 
15 spikes yeah and doing it all perfectly you know i think it's horses for courses and and unfortunately there's enough accessibility options to to judge for that so i've turned like the parrying to be like have a better window for me to do more damage you know as as my character so the combat is slightly easier but not too much easier but the platforming and the exploration Wonderful. is um is at level and there's things like there's a guided mode where it will specifically guide you to where you need to be next rather than just like Clever. saying go go and do whatever which is not a complete like setting a waypoint but at least tells you in what direction you might need to be might need to be headed so there's so again there's a lot of those accessibility features that are completely optional you can turn them all off if you want to it's not an easy mode it's just a way of how i find it is those parts of the games where i just don't have the time or the inclination to really engage with or learn this complicated and quite in-depth combat yeah. system i just kind of want it to just run around and be a badass with a couple yeah. of swords i i when i went back and played uh, castlevania symphony of the night which is the vania part of metroidvania um the there were moments where i was like i've completed this before why do i still not know where i need to go right and yeah i think we're getting to the point now especially i mean certainly you know i don't want to speak on your behalf but like I go to game facts more than I ever used to because I'm just like, yeah, I have tried to figure this out. I have a job. Like, I, I do, I'm not going to spend two hours running around this thing only to get frustrated and then be like, oh, it was this, right? Like, so I feel like all of those accessibility features are really useful uh, for people like us because ultimately I don't mind swanning around in a space for 10 or 15 minutes not knowing what I'm meant to do. But if I can't figure it out for myself... I'm either going to go and fuck it or I'm going to go and fuck it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to put it down, basically. <laughs> yeah. Dan's editing this, so I'll, I'll uh, do, do that. Yeah, do, so do I'm that sure bit. he was on that. It was too yeah. good. A, it was too yeah. good a pun. Yeah, to... so fuck it or fuck it, basically. Um, uh, which uh, I think is, is I think that's, <laughs> I, I think that is the, the, you reach a certain age where you think that, right? Like, yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I did that multiple times with bloody Super Mario Wonder. Yeah, yeah. like, what do you <laughs> want me to do, Mario? Oh, okay. I have to pull. I have to push the pipe. Okay, got it. Yeah. Oh, that was that infuriating. was infuriating. Yeah, Correct. I was. Yeah. I was. Uh, oh, there's only certain blocks that certain characters can see. Oh, so you do want you want me to go through the whole yeah. game with yeah. every single character to find? Yeah. yeah. No, fuck it, please. Or fuck it. Um. But um, Prince of Persia, I mean, spoilers, you don't even play as a Prince of Persia. What? <laughs> Do you play as Zelda instead? The, the, oh, Christ. Like, the, the worst thing about the game is the story. Like, it is completely... Yeah. It's, it's not even bobbins. It's not even anything. It's just nothing. Which is unfortunate because it, it's kind of, you know, when I'm getting into... 10 to 15 hours of playing this really it's going to be the story is going to be the clincher at the end um but it's just it's just absolutely 
nothing. Yeah. Like it's just the most you you can tell that in terms of resources and efforts as um handed out to them from Ubisoft like they chose right let's make exploration let's make combat let's you know really make this an interesting world visually and have interesting elements in it but no idea in really about how to bring it to life or apply some sort of narrative yeah. to it well um i know it's just been the i've got nothing left huh? in my grab bag i've got something left in my grab bag mm. um we asked last episode for uh listeners to get in touch with us staying in pod at gmail.com yes please we said hello everyone we said we're always on the lookout for fun new things and because you know we yep we find fun stuff that we think that you'll like uh and you probably find stuff that we'll probably like so we'd love to hear from you um and chris from manitoba in canada didn't even I, wow. wow i mean that is i mean talk about exoticism um chris says Chris did exactly what we suggested and getting got in touch with us and said, I just wanted to plus one for severance, uh, which is a thing that we discussed yes. uh, very recently. I think it's a show that makes for great conversation, which sounds good. Um, also, have you guys watched The Queen's Gambit? Uh, I was on the fence about watching it, but when I did, holy cow, I absolutely loved it. I'd recommend it to anyone. Love the show. Have a good one. I haven't seen The Queen's Gambit. I keep hearing lovely things about it. Um, the only thing I know it for, really, is it's about chess. Um, yeah. And it came out at roughly the same time as that Sherlock thing came out, uh, around the same time. And yeah, roughly. some absolute chances released a board game based on it, uh, which I thought was... Which I thought was amazing and i and i i salute them uh for for the for the gumption basically of them doing that um but i haven't watched it have you uh we watched i think a couple of episodes mm. of it and uh for what for whatever reason I, we probably just got distracted and and moved on to something else i think the thing that didn't chime with me was there was kind of like there was mo there was hallucinatory moments involving chess that i think i've like it was it was kind of i don't know sometimes i just get into my head when i'm watching something that i can just see into the writer's room and them just thinking of ways of but how do we make this visually interesting <laughs> yeah 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 sure <laughs> like like uh like when the writers on the in in the writer's room for ds9 are like we have got to go somewhere other than this port right holiday yeah. <laughs> straight there let's go <laughs> um but i i'm i'm you know i'm always up for giving things a second a second shake especially because we've started watching severance now and um i think pete in terms of conversational tv i think you would severance is a kind of show where you would during its entire runtime you would be sitting on the edge of your sofa, mm. making your hands in a yes. pyramid and pressing them up against your chin, just going, hmm. Oh, that sounds like a show I would like. Mm. Because I, it raises every single minute that passes that show, raises so many philosophical quandaries 
it is unbelievable. <laughs> it is unbelievable. Um, so I think that you would just absolutely love okay. to revel in in what that presents in terms of well, let's apply a theory to let's apply a philosophical theory to a TV mm. series and kind of explore what what would happen well, in well, that if, way. If Chris from uh, Canada is suggesting it and you're suggesting it, maybe I'll give uh, it a go. Yeah, but if Dan is, then... Yeah. But if Dan well, is, then... Yeah, well. <laughs> um, stayingpod at gmail.com, folks. Uh, more recommendations yep. like that, please. Uh, I'm... Please. Uh, I am on the lookout for... What am I on the lookout for at the moment? I... I'm interested in extreme sports games. Okay. And I would be very interested in hearing if anybody's been playing one recently that uh, I've missed out on. Uh, so uh, anything, anything with a, the skateboard or rollerblades or BMX or, or, or snowboards or skiing or surfing or any of those sorts of things, uh, even racing, well, and especially even racing games and stuff like that. Anything along those lines, I'm particularly interested in hearing about those. Um, so, uh, uh, get in touch via that. We're also on social media. Um, the one that yes. you really should care about is Instagram because it's, it's just nice pictures. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we're on some other ones as well that we don't really use all that much. Uh, and we'd really appreciate it if you'd tell your pals about this. Um, and even though it doesn't do anything to the great algorithm, uh, if you really like this, uh, episode or any of the previous episodes, uh, do please give us a review and a rating because uh, while it doesn't help us do anything with it, it sure makes us feel nice in our tummies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's... Is that everything? I think that's... Oh, oh. Um, uh, BGG. Of course. Steam. If you're looking for a shortcut to get to Hollow Body uh, or um, links to District... district if you links to District Noir or Beacon Patrol or actually Printer Persia won't be on that because it's a Ubisoft launcher. It's not on Steam yet, of course. Um, but if you want some shortcuts to some of the stuff that we've been talking about, then we've got a curated page on Steam and as well on BGG where if it's available on there and we've talked about it, yep. it will be on there. So it's a great sort of one a brilliant pool of a resource of stuff yep. that we've talked about um not just in this episode but over the years mm -hmm. as well so check that out um there's some stuff on spotify that chris has been bumbling oh, around oh yeah with. it's linked again it's it's in the out. show notes it's linked at the bottom of the show notes mm -hmm. um it's lovely soundtracks uh scored to things that we discuss uh, and chris keeps it updated which is amazing yeah. And then just one final, actually just one sort of uh, brief note. Uh, thanks again for Pandasaurus for sending us District Noir and Beacon Patrol. And just a sort of message ahead. We will be at Aircon, me, um, Pete and Indeed. Chris, from the 15th to the 17th of yep. March. If you want um, a sticker. So if you, if you want a sticker, then stick around and find one of us and we will give Come you say hello. a sticker even if you don't want to say hello because we've had it in the past where people have been like oh i was too scared yeah. to say hello and we're yeah. like chris chris does that <laughs> to people we get it <laughs> um but honestly we'll be um uh, uh 
one of us will be adorned in a staying in shirt so you won't be able to miss us but we'll be around for the yeah. weekend and if you're there just send us a dm on instagram and we'll make a yeah. point of yep. saying hello but it'd be great to yep. see you if yep. you're able to go you will get a high five from me if you enjoy high fives right well see you on the beach yeah see you on the beach <laughs>